gals and non-binary pals, welcome to In the Chaos with Cal and Sarita, a podcast between two friends just trying to have it all. I'm Cal, a semi-professional homosexual, a media strategist, and an eclectic witch. And I'm Sarita. I blend the magical with the practical to create a better community for all. Each week, we'll share how we're dealing with the chaos of culture, politics, and astrology. Let's go, girls. God, I don't think there's a better entrance. I think this is just our entrance. Hi, everybody. This is it. Hi, hello. We're back, baby. Um, It's December. Like, I guess, yeehaw, it's December. Um, Yeehaw, it's December. I'm feeling less of a Grinch this year than I was last year, but I'm definitely, I definitely lean Grinchy. So whatever. Is it because you're going to hang out with me? (laughs) but that's after christmas yeah nobody cares about the day (laughs) i'm very excited um we're gonna hang out for new year's which is so cool we haven't hung out in like two years we've done a whole podcast together so look at us (laughs) um fun fact serena and i actually haven't hung out since we met each other (laughs) um which is pretty fucking silly um (laughs) now that we're on season two of our podcast so that's something to celebrate we're gonna be hanging out truly to ring in this new fucking year um we'll have to do an episode of like our origin story oh my god maybe (laughs) we'll record while we're together we should talk about that omg Oh, that's fun. That's top of the agenda for Saturday. Anyways, um, we're so excited to be in December with you. Um, even though the world is burning. Just burning, feeling giddy burning. in Sagittarius season, you know? You can't be stressed about the world being on fire. Literally, Sagittarius season is el- the f- elbow on fire gif. <laughs> <laughs> just arms extended (laughs) like on fire um we are (laughs) for our meat and potatoes we're going to be talking about um organizing our communities um i don't know about you but i'm feeling pretty politically deflated at the moment um and we'll talk a little bit about why but imagine why yeah um Things just don't feel good, ATM. <laughs> I'm straight um, up not having a good time right now. <laughs> like fully, completely, and absolutely not loving it. Um, <laughs> and Sorry, McDonald's, I'm not loving uh, it. Don't sue me. Um, but we're going to talk about, um, you know, in the midst of all of this, finding hope in um, leaning our communi- on our communities, organizing and leveraging our collective power, which... I'm actually very excited about this conversation. Um, I think I'll feel more hopeful afterwards. Ooh, um, that's, that's usually fun. how that's these new. conversations go for me. Um, but before we get into that, we have plenty of mess and chaos to get into. So let's dive right on in. Um, To start our flowers, it's important to use this soothing voice because we're going to talk about one of the most annoying and amazing things, Spotify Wrapped. I've decided I unironically love Spotify Wrapped. I love it. I live for it. I told Michael because he was using my Spotify at the beginning of the year. If he fucked up my Spotify Wrapped, I would be pissed. (laughs) I really wanted to be that girl who's like... Spotify wrapped is just, it's, you know, overrated. Like I it's really perfect. wanted to it's talk amazing. shit about how annoying Spotify, Spotify wrapped is. And the fact is I saw this tweet <laughs> earlier this week, which is funny because I'm not on Twitter. So, you know, it's funny shit. Cause that means yeah. I saw it on Instagram. How'd you find it? <laughs> Instagram. Only the funny shit gets to Instagram. I've hacked this shit. Um, <laughs> I don't have to be on that fucking hell site anymore. I just see this funny the stuff bird on app with Instagram. Uh. Um, <laughs> but the tweet was, um, 
like basically hats off to Spotify for like finding a cute and fun way to say like, yes, we're harvesting your data. (laughs) I saw that tweet. (laughs) um, And like, that is absolutely how I feel about Spotify wrapped. I unfortunately (laughs) look forward to it every year. Every year, Facebook, Meta, whatever the fuck you are. Are you listening? Spotify made... Tracking the Swedes like have our data by its throats. Like, and, like I'm here to give it to them. Please, I'm begging. Again, I told Michael I would legitimately be pissed if he fucked up my Spotify Wrapped and like some dumb shit like ended up on there. Right, right. Like, if you have my Spotify saying that I love classical music, I will be fuming. <laughs> What was the most surprising thing about your Spotify rap? Because I feel like basic <laughs> bitches love to be like, I'm not surprised by this at all. Well, like, no shit, bitch. You, it's the what you've been listening to all year. It's literally all your data. So tell me <laughs> what was surprising about your Spotify raps. Not surprising, but funny to me is that for the second year in a row, my number one podcast is a podcast called Sleep With Me. It's my sleep okay, podcast. Okay, you've mentioned this before <laughs> on this show, I think. It is, I mean, it is the thing that I've listened to. I might be trying it today, The honestly. fucking most. I streamed it for 7,074 minutes and everyone knows there's 525,600 minutes in a year. And that feels like a pretty decent chunk. Uh, to go Everyone to does a... know that because of rent. Because <laughs> of rent. Hello. <laughs> um, it is a podcast called Sleep With Me. It's a sleep podcast. Um, at Dearest Scooter. Are you listening? Are you ready to sponsor me? Oh, my God. Um, and I put it on at night, not even like when I'm going to sleep, but when I'm getting ready for bed. And all it is is this man named Scooter talking Sometimes he's telling like made up stories, but like it's mostly just him talking about random shit in a really boring, soothing voice. And it just, I'm like a fucking baby. It just lulls me to sleep, dearest scooter. That we're the same brand of white woman. (laughs) (laughs) Like we are just, we're like. Then we were, we were, Cal- we are California white women before they become anti-vaxxers. Absolutely. Like, that's where we are. Fully, fully. And I love it for us. Um, anything surprise you on your rap? Um, so I think the thing that surprised me the most is that, um, my number one song is Easy On Me by Adele, oh. which... <laughs> Cal. <laughs> is interesting because at the time of the recording of this podcast that song's been out for like six weeks and the cutoff was probably like what a week ago for yeah. like spotify wrapped or like yeah because maybe it, even like end of like October. easy on me barely know. made it in to even be considered <laughs> so that's my number one song if you're wondering how i'm doing um Ooh, <laughs> Yeah, but the interesting, the other interesting thing about all of this is that Beyonce has been my number one, like, artist literally since Spotify wrapped, like, started. And for the first year, she's not my top artist. She was knocked out of the running by Meg Thee Stallion, which, like, Houston, Texas, if anyone's going to replace Bay, it's going to be Megan in, you know, in my playlist, right? Um, But then... We really balanced that out with Jasmine Sullivan as my number two. <laughs> so really, I, I'm crying a lot, but in the middle of that, there's a lot of dance. I, there's a You're lot of dancing. Ass, I'm you know? throwing ass. I'm either stomping the sidewalk or I'm sobbing into my coffee. Like Absolutely. those are the moods of 2021 based I on my Spotify rap. I think one thing that I was startled by, this is the first year that Lizzo hasn't been in my top five. Mm. And I'm gonna say it's because Lizzo was on her own break. And so like- That's fair. You know, although, I mean, I've been listening to Lizzo since Batches and Cookies. So like Ugh. since the mixtapes. Yes. So I'm a little- upset with myself quite honestly um but i, I mean love- we can't all be stands lizzo you're still my number four girl 
Okay, well, this is really hard for me. Um, and in her place, it, or like in the top five, the other four always standards, classics. Uh, so the one, the new one is Doja Cat, which caught me off guard. Okay. But a pleasant surprise. Doja Cat has been on the fucking airwaves this whole it year. Been. It's true. Did you see that shit the AMAs gave her best R&B artist? Yes, which is yeah, we embarrassing. Can't, we can't do this, <laughs> but y'all shut the fuck up. Justin Sullivan earned that shit. Anyways, um, so some additional flowers for this week. Uh, Sarita, I feel like you had a special bouquet for a very deserving someone. I would like to give a very special bouquet of flowers to myself. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I want to give myself flowers because uh, if you follow me on social media, you probably know about this, maybe know about this. Uh, I have not had my ADHD medicine for a little over two weeks um, through no fault of my own, not by choice. I want to be very clear. This is not me being like, oh my God, I went off my meds and I'm fine. I'm not, I'm unwell. Not well. <laughs> I'm straight up not having a good time. Hugh Dorinda from The Real Housewives, not well, bitch. And uh, <laughs> very quickly, the reason why I have not had them is because my psychiatrist and I were trying out a different dose. So my psychiatrist put in a prescription for it. But because this government, I think I've screeched about this before, does not care or like or trust people who have struggled with addiction or people managing addiction. They assume everyone can and will be um, addicted to to medications and they are heavily regulated. So um, Sarita, it's the war on drugs. uh, We got to protect the kids. From the drugs. Uh, There was a study done that said that communities that were like D.A.R.E. communities, like you remember D.A.R.E., actually had higher rates of underage drug use because it's just like abstinence only, it doesn't work. But anyways, the government, the pharmacy, and my insurance all said I cannot have any more meds for 30 days. And the problem was is that other dose didn't work and my 30 days was up in about two weeks. So they said, sorry, babe, gotta wait till 30. Um, So I finally can pick up my meds tomorrow. I'm very excited. Or I guess by the time this comes out, I'll be back on them, thank God. But it has been a real struggle. Um, And if I was ever wondering if I have ADHD and if I need medication, (laughs) the answer is resoundingly yes. You've been reminded. Don't you forget it. Ever. The eclipses said, you want to think about this? No, thank you. Focus. We don't know her. Never met her. Cal, who would you like to give flowers to? Um, so if you've ever listened to the show, you know I watch a lot a lot of television, right? Mo- I feel like most of my flowers go to television shows. We love consuming is, media. Listen, there's a lot of media to consume. It turns out the television is my number one. Um, this week I've gotten really into the sex life of college girls, which is on HBO Max. If you have a subscription, um, friends, let me tell you that Mindy Kaling has fucking done it again. Um, she is not only the creator of the show, but is also an executive producer on the show. Um, and it is a series that follows the lives of four 18 year old freshmen, uh, roommates at um, Essex College in Vermont, which I think is fictional, but it's like supposed to be this like uppity, like New England, like a elite. Sarah Lawrence, yeah, or maybe more. I feel like I mean it does give like um, Boston vibes, right? Like mm-hmm. very like elitist that kind of vibe. I love that um, you just implied that Sarah Lawrence is an elitist. Oh no no no! I yes it is. <laughs> So the series follows these four girls, uh, or these four people who are freshmen, um, specifically, like, getting into sex and their sexually active lifestyle as they deal with, like, different struggles of, like, dating people and, like, you know, college professors and all of that. Um, And it's fucking delightful. I've laughed every single episode. The cast is perfect. Like... I don't feel like it's easy to cast like college girls. Like that is a really specific time in someone's life to get right. Yes. Um, 
And they truly did with this bunch. Um, And I just feel like it doesn't try too hard, but does a really good job of like talking about um, all kinds of like ways in which like racism manifests in college campuses. One of the... um, one of the main characters of the show is really into comedy and like um, they explore like racism and sexism in um, the comedy scene, which I'm sure like Mindy is very much like familiar with as a brown woman in some of these spaces, right? So it's extremely good. HBO is like dropping batches of episodes at a time. Um, so I think as of today, there are like eight episodes out and then they'll drop like the last two episodes or something um pretty soon but it's chef's kiss delicious extremely funny and there's some like drama rama in there too so it's really got something for everybody we love a little drama rama a wee bit of drama rama um truly i've never i haven't laughed this hard on a show in a very long time (laughs) that's a ringing endorsement um well now that you're feeling good about something let's yell Mm. (laughs) okay uh, <laughs> I never have any of that to do, especially not here. We don't have a shared note called screeching. <laughs> no, we absolutely don't have that in our iPhones, no. do we? Um, Cal, what would you like to screech about this week? Um, so the weird thing about living in a pandemic is I haven't been on an airplane in a very long time. Like, Before the pandemic started, or I should say, before the pandemic shut everything down in March 2020, um, I was, I like to travel a lot, you know, usually like once every couple of months I was on an airplane going somewhere, whether it was for work or for visiting folks, whatever, I like to travel internationally, all that stuff. So I was like pretty used to like being on an airplane and whatever, Um, I just flew for the first time as part of like the Thanksgiving holidays um this past week um and being on an airplane I don't think there is like anything worse than being on an airplane at this point like I hate being around people now obviously I've been locked in my house for like a year and a fucking half um and I feel like my tolerance for like dumb shit that people do in public is just at an all-time minimum and flying just really tends to highlight the dumb shit that you people do in public um one of those things in particular that i'd really like to spend my time talking about today is this asinine like habit (laughs) i wish you all could see gal's face (laughs) Like, it's asinine is the word for you people who the airplane lands. No no matter how long the flight has been, it's a long flight. This flight was like 45 minutes long. And I was like, Jesus Christ, get me off of this plane. Doesn't matter how long it is, getting on a a plane is odious. Odious. (laughs) We pull up to the gate and it's soon. Like, not a half a second after that seatbelt sign goes off, you bitches are on your feet. Y'all act (laughs) like you are at the motherfucking Olympics. It is the final sprint, and y'all are going for the goddamn gold. Like, (laughs) girl, your luggage is still going to be there in 10 minutes when the doors still are open. Like, unless... You have a connecting flight that takes off in 10 minutes on the other side of the airport. You better keep your ass in that seat. Which you should have already notified the flight attendants about so that you could get to the front of the plane to deplane. Correct. Like, make arrangements, bitch. Like, I don't need you standing in my air. My air? My ass down. Because... We're all going to be waiting here to get off of this airplane. I just don't really understand y'all who think you're going to get out of here any faster because you're standing as soon as is like humanly possible. And I just find it incredibly (laughs) annoying. So like, sit the fuck down. Cal says sit down somewhere. Sit down somewhere. You are not, you are not that important. You're not that busy. Booked and busy. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, yeah, that and the people who clap when the plane lands, like truly. What, like, what is this? Is this like, were we on a NASA mission to the moon? Like, <laughs> have we just successfully? I wish someone landed? clapped every time I did my job. Like, damn. <laughs> Eat praise <laughs> onto us. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I would like to screech about something slightly less lighthearted, but equally asinine, quite honestly. Ugh, um, that's a word for it. <laughs> so by the time this comes out, like a week ago, um, the Supreme Court would have heard arguments for what uh, the court case Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, um, which came out of Mississippi, which it is based off of a law that was directly meant to challenge Roe v. Wade, which was birthed, pun intended. Um, this court case was came from SB8, which we talked about in our Texas episode, the six-week abortion um, ban here in Texas. Uh, so court arguments have been made. The Supreme er, Court... Serena, one thing I want to just clarify really quick what you mean there, of, um, like, the bill... The bill that you mentioned in Mississippi, oh, yes, that was like directly designed to challenge Roe v. Wade. Like the fact that this court case exists, like, is not this is not a coincidence, right? Like, no, this was a targeted attack on reproductive rights, in which conservatives in Mississippi said, "You know how we're going to overturn Roe v. Wade? We're going to pass this law, which will trigger a legal challenge. It's going to work its way through the courts." And get to the Supreme Court, right? Like, and there's almost like a more nefarious level here. To and we saw this law roll out after SB8, the abortion bill here in Texas. Like it got progressively worse because um, they said if they can do it, we can do it worse. Yep. Um, so, yes, as Cal said, it was specifically designed to force a challenge to Roe v. Wade. And, you know, at the time of recording, we don't know how things are going to, we don't know anything finally. Um, the court has, in a lot of ways, signaled, specifically piece of shit Brett Kavanaugh and dumb piece of shit Amy Cohen Barrett, Barrett whatever, I don't care enough to get her name correct, um, have signaled um, that they don't necessarily intend to repeal Roe v. Wade, but they do intend to gut it, um, which is almost, it's all terrible. Anyways, that in and of itself is enough to screech about. I specifically want and to- We should also oh, yes. probably, like Roe v. Wade, like what does that actually mean, right? Because I feel mm -hmm. like a lot of people, like they talk about this court case, but like, Roe v. Wade is essentially like the foundation of uh, it is it is the court case that set the legal precedent that allows for abortion to exist in this country. Right. Yeah. And like Roe v. There's a big misconception that Roe v. Wade means like unfettered access to abortion. And all it means is that a person has a legal right to choice. There can be parameters on that choice. Mm -hmm. There can be restrictions and regulations on that choice, but that they technically have the right to choice. Um, and so you'll hear often from reproductive justice advocates that Roe v. Wade is the floor, and that's what they mean by that. Um, you also might have heard a lot leading up to this case that Congress needed to what's called codify Roe v. Wade, and that means put the right to choice into legal federal law so that no state could full outright ban abortion or get close to it, as close as we have been. Um, but of course that didn't happen because we can't have nice things. Um, but the specific thing that I wanna screech about, cause y'all have heard, y'all know that I am pro-abortion, that I obviously find this fucking reprehensible and all of the things. I want to talk to the white ladies sitting too close. Um, you know who you Oof. are. <laughs> 
They're not in the uh, back. They're always sitting just too fucking close. Yep. Uh, there was a tweet that I saw that really like inspired this screech, but you know, it's something that I felt for a while. Uh, and the tweet said from a white woman of like, I never thought in my lifetime I would have to start a abortion underground railroad, but I'm ready to do it. And like, first and foremost, oh keep the God. underground railroad out of your and, fucking uh, mouth. Like Harriet Tubman did not do what she fucking did for you to be talking about it. Second of all, you've always had and always will have access to abortion. Like black, brown, indigenous, poor folks, uneducated folks, folks in abusive situations, like the number of people who regardless of Roe v. Wade have not had fair and equal and equitable access to abortion is truly astounding. And so what we're really being faced with is middle-class white ladies might have a harder time getting an abortion because wealthy white ladies will never have a problem. Let's be very clear. And now that it's come to their front door, they want to be shocked and awed and like talk a lot about the fucking Handmaid's Tale, which like I haven't read the book, but the TV show's trash. And I won't do, I can't stress enough. Do not fucking at me unless you have a goddamn death wish about it. And just like the way white feminism will co-opt real danger and harm and center themselves is truly maddening. Um, so anyways, by the time this comes out, who knows what would have happened with the case specifically, um, regardless, like watch what you fucking say and remember that there are, and have always been for centuries, whole chunks of people who did not have, do not have, and will not have access to healthcare because abortion is healthcare. And when you trivialize it to shit like The Handmaid's Tale, and when you make like sarcastic little quips about an underground abortion, whatever, whatever, like you are spitting in their fucking faces. Sometimes shit needs to stay in the fucking drafts, Ashley. I swear to God, the drafts is Ashley, spelled L-E-I-G-H. It's called the notes app, it's yellow. Like, <laughs> put your shit in there and shut the fuck up. Don't make an ass of yourself. And with that... <laughs> there's that. Um, I mean, by the time y'all are hearing this, the um, eclipse... Uh, the full solar eclipse in Sagittarius um, will have happened on December 3rd slash 4th. Um, we talked a lot about that in our Sagittarius episode, so encourage y'all to go back and listen to that if you haven't already. But I feel like the big thing is, like, for, for this week is, like, rest as much as you can, get low to the ground and care for yourself. Um, eclipses can be very draining. Um, they can be very big emotional events. Um, and particularly like this eclipse being the last eclipse in a series in Sagittarius, um, represents kind of like the, the end of a cycle and a final letting go of something. And once you let go of that thing, rebirth follows that. And that is tough. Um, that is hard work, right? Like you're still tender, um, I think about um, Chani in um, the one of her horoscopes for this week compares like an eclipse to a snake shedding one's skin and how um, that skin, that new skin can be tender for a little while. So just be tender with yourselves, gentle, gentle with yourselves as much as you can be, especially in the midst of all this fucking shit. Shit. <laughs> well. There it is. Um, yes, be kind, be gentle, be soft. Um, it's cool to be kind. Uh, and with that, we will be back in a moment for our meat and potatoes. Pew, pew, pew.
All right, so we are back for your meat and potatoes. Um, I think that the conversation we just had um, about the Texas, or I should say about the Supreme Court, pending Supreme Court ruling really kind of sets up this conversation really well for us. Um, But this week we're talking about organizing. How do we organize our communities? um, And why it's so important that we do that. Um, And, you know, I mentioned this at the top of the show, but I've been feeling just like really deflated is the word that keeps coming to mind. Like I just feel like a fucking limp balloon. I don't know how you're feeling, Sarita, but like, (laughs) I feel like a balloon that's like, the helium is like slowly leaking out of me. I hate that visual. <laughs> oh my God. Um, <laughs> like there's a tiny hole that just like air is slowly just leaking. You're welcome, everyone. Over like days, you know, like days after the birthday. Yeah, party. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like four <laughs> days after the birthday party, and the balloon like have enough helium around. to like even really get off the ground, yep. but it's still kind of bobbing around the room. Uh-huh. Um, yep. oh, Jesus, fuck. Um, I'm so sorry. Um, I don't know if I'm quite balloon status, but like, you know, when you haven't watered your plant for a minute and it's not to the crispy stage, it's just a little floppy. Definitely droopy. Yeah, it's a little droopy. Yeah. It's not its regular perky self. Like we're not... We're not in the danger zone yet, but like, bitch should get some water soon. Right. And it like, I don't know. I'm not sure if that comes from like one place for you or anything like that. But I know for me, like the sort of like political, like the way that the society continues to crumble, even though (laughs) like politically, you know, we, we are both people who work in politics. We are very involved in the way that um the kind of the political status of our communities in this country we're very attuned to those things and you know we were both involved in elections last year um and played a part in getting joe biden elected right and electing democrats to congress talk about some buyer's remorse listen i there i am feeling a lot of that right now of just like we do have control of things and yet we continue to choose not to do things to make people's lives better. We are not doing things that were promised to us. And the people who said they were going to do these things are not showing up in the way that they promised that they would. Joe Biden, et cetera. Um, And it just makes me, I'm just like, well, damn, like we did some really fucking hard shit and getting Joe Biden fucking elected. And it feels like we're about to lose it all. And we're, we haven't done this. This is not what I mean when I say risk it all. Right. This is not what I want. No, Joe (laughs) Biden. This is not what I risked it all for. No. And like to give him some credit, like, okay, sure. We, you know, passed a really great infrastructure package, right? Sure. Um, It's only, although I still have student loans. Yeah. So. And um, you do have the legal ability to do that. You've chosen not to. Right. Like there are just we could we could name. A lot of things long <laughs> as God knows of the disappointments. Right. And the the list of wins is short um, in comparison to like the crises we face with the climate, with the literal general strike that's happening in this country at this moment. Right. Um, and. So I have I have found myself being like, okay, well, faith cannot be in our institutions. Like they may do some good things every now and then, but like they're not going to save us, right? They're not meeting our needs in this moment. And really the only thing that I think we can look to is like our communities and the places that we live um, and the different communities that we're a part of, right? Like I feel like that is the only place that I can really find like my hope right now. Yeah, I actually, it's so funny that you mentioned that. Um, Today at work, I had to, I was sending an email um, out to all the folks that had expressed interest in wanting to do an eMERGE training in in 2022. And I was sort of in this like mood where I was like, it feels disingenuous to just be like, hey, run for office, do my training. 
especially knowing that like my target demographic is democratic women and femmes. And, you know, we just talked about everything that's going on with reproductive justice and abortion access. So I wanted to like take a moment to like fully acknowledge that. But then I found myself sort of reflecting and like, you know, in a, in a much more professional way, just being like, this fucking sucks. Like this is all really shitty. And also it's not healthy for me and it's not helpful to me to stay in that really low fucking place. And the thing that consistently brings me out of that is turning to my community, is turning to, like when I was writing this email, I was like, I am constantly inspired when I have an office hours meeting with one of y'all who is thinking about running for school board or city council or justice of the peace, like some down ballot race that never gets the respect or the attention that it deserves. Because it reminds me that there are still people in our community that love and care and want to do good. And it's a matter of finding a place and a space for them, whether that's electoral or otherwise, which we'll get into that. But like just having that knowledge kind of helps water my plant and like reinflate the balloon a little. <laughs> mm. Well, and the being part of those communities, being part of any community, there's some level of organizing that has to go into that, right? Like mm-hmm. people people need to be organized. We we have to have an idea of what we're doing, how we're going to do it so that we can do it together, right? And yes. like organizing, I think from in my mind is based on the belief that like not only do does each individual person have the ability to do anything they want in order to like create change, but that when we work together, our powers magnified, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, I feel like the, the connection here is that um, being a part of a community requires that we organize our community. And that we need leaders in our communities that can organize our communities toward collective liberation in all of its forms, right? So I want to ask, Sarita, when did you first organize? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) (laughs) I remember it vividly. It was in the fourth grade. It was. (laughs) Something told me this was going to take us way back. I knew. Way back. (laughs) We were like baby Sarita was organizing in diapers for sure. Yes. Uh, My mom gives me shit because she said that when I was a toddler, I would try to like haggle with her all the time. Shut up. Um, And if you know my mother, she is not a haggling woman. But I was like, I don't know. I could take her. Anyways, my first foray into organizing was in the fourth grade. It was my first year in Carlsbad, New Mexico. We had moved there from Houston. Um, so I was about 10, 9, 10. I don't know how old you are in fourth grade. Um, and uh, I was already like, like I was the new kid in school. Like I was new. I just started the school year. Um, and, you know, was a little sad because I had left all my friends in Houston and like left the big city for the small town. I was basically a lifetime fucking movie. Um, but when at school, I had lunch at school every day and the food just wasn't giving what it was supposed to give the Houston cafeteria. I lived in spring branch. So like North Houston. So like, even though I went to a public school, I was like, I was bad and bougie. You were getting good shit. I was getting good shit. And the school in Carlsbad was not doing it for me. So I, with Actually, my grandma says that I didn't ask for help until after, but I wrote a letter to my school principal um, and his name was Mr. Jimenez. And my grandma says that I asked her how to spell Jimenez uh, because I knew that it was a Spanish name. So it was spelled, I knew enough to know that it was spelled differently than it sounded. Mm -hmm. Uh, And my grandma's fluent in Spanish. And I was like, well, she'll know. And so my grandma (laughs) was like- Well, she'll know. She speaks- Spanish. She speaks Spanish. She'll know how to spell Jimenez. Uh, and so she tells me how to spell it. And I like, I'm like, do, do, do. Okay, great. Thank you. And then my grandma was like, and I thought about it. And then the next day I was like, Srita, why did you need to know Mr. how to spell Mr. Jimenez's name? And I said, oh, I needed to send him a letter. And she was like, what? <laughs> send him a letter to school. And I was like, well, I dropped it off at the office and I watched the secretary put it on his desk because I wanted to make sure it got there. <laughs> 
I was in the fourth grade. <laughs> so you've been inseparable since birth? Ever since. And my mom and my grandma got called in for a parent-teacher conference to with Mr. Jimenez to talk about my letter in which I said that the cafeteria food was terrible. And if he didn't come up with a plan to fix it, I was going to organize a strike with the other fourth graders. <laughs> And you know the fuck what? I don't think there's any better way to shut down a school than to organize a strike of the students. You want all the fourth graders running around in the parking lot? No? Then here's our list of demands. I didn't really know what a strike was. I just knew it was something that bosses didn't want to hear. Shut the fuck up. And I knew I knew what a petition was. And so I had already written a petition on my little notebook and was like passing it around. Shout out to like PBS (laughs) or like socialist propaganda machine. Truly PBS raised me. (laughs) Like giving us words like petition and strike. Like I know I got that shit from like Arthur or something (laughs) for sure. But like that just goes to show like organizing is not anything like fucking fancy it's literally just like talking to people and being like we should all do this together and then being like yeah let's do that i will land this plane and say that it worked (laughs) and you got fucking better food in the cafeteria we did we got better food in the cafe they gave it we got a new menu and the students got to pick like one item on the menu to be there for the year like that was the deal out here with the Serena sandwich, the Timmy taco. Like the thing was out here giving you menu items. This man fucking knew if he didn't find a solution, we'd rise at dawn. Like it's really that fucking simple. Like, like that's all it is, y'all. It is as simple. It makes me think of like Rugrats when it's like, let's go, baby. That was like me. we are gonna fix this shit like you know tommy pickles was a leo (laughs) fuck like all like truly that's all it is right like my first time organizing was on my college campus cliche i know um but it really came about because i was like talking to my friends we were all studying different things in school some of us were studying languages At the time, um, the Syrian, like, civil war was particularly the thing that was really driving the headlines. We were watching, like, this new wave of a refugee crisis that it continues, um, seeing images of, like, Syrian children literally washing up on beaches, right? Um, We, as college students, were like, we want to do something about this. Um, and so we volunteered to, we went to like a volunteer session with a local, one of the local organizations that was, um, in charge of resettling refugees. Austin is actually a huge refugee resettlement hub, particularly for Iraqi refugees. Um, me and several of my friends were studying Arabic in school. I studied Arabic for several years, studying abroad, all that good shit. I'm like, casual, you know, I, I speak, you know, I'm, I could get around, Um, but we were all like, there are plenty of people on campus who are like learning all these languages and that kind of thing, right? Like, why don't we try and get more people to organize, like to actually support these refugees, right? And so we started a student organization that funnels college students to these refugee resettlement organizations in Austin, and it still exists, which is cool on UT campus. Um, but it was like, it really is as simple as like identifying a problem and like finding people who are like in your community, right? Like on your college campus in your fourth grade class and being like, all right, we're going to do something about this problem. What do we get, want? We want better food. When do we want it? Yesterday, now. Mr. Jimenez. Like, um, what do we want? Refugees with jobs and social security numbers and places to live. <laughs> We're going to do it now. Yours might have been a little more of a valiant effort. Listen, (laughs) we were both in pursuit of good goals, right? You were making sure that people were fed. Yeah, fed Um, well, okay? well, For some people, this was the one meal that they could count on. Mm -hmm. This is my stump speech when I run for office. I've been feeding children since fourth grade. 
that actually is a really cute stump speech opener. Like that's actually really precious. When I was in fourth grade, I organized a general strike in order to get <laughs> better I've always been food. pro-labor. <laughs> that's my days organizing a strike of my fellow fourth grade students in order to get better food in the cafeteria. Um, but, you know, on top of organizing, like being simple, it's also like, we have so many possibility models to mirror in this moment um, because communities have always had to organize themselves. Yes. Like you brought up, you were yelling earlier about white women tweeting about like running underground railroads for abortions. And number one, black people ran the Underground Railroad because white people were mostly, there were some white people involved in the Underground Railroad, but Harriet Tubman did that shit. And most white people were not about to help any Black people escape to a place where they would not be enslaved. So that's note number one. Note number two is communities have been running these kinds of support networks for literal millennia because institutions have in this country have literally never served us. So centuries, I should say, right? Um, But even in other societies, there have been support networks, et cetera. Um, And like, there are so many ways in which communities have had to show up for themselves because our government, other institutions have failed to show up for us. Like really recent examples of that here in Texas, um, as soon as SB8 went into effect, We saw a lot of different mutual aid funds pop up to help fund um, access to abortion, out-of-state access to abortion. But one thing that I saw that started that was like super tangible and like an immediate kind of like help was there were mutual aid funds and then also just like gathering of abortion pills and plan B at like morning after pills so that people who needed immediate access to care could always have that and have it readily available. And um, we've seen that type of work done for eons, like midwives, especially like in the black community, not only knew how to deliver babies, but they also knew how to, um, do you do medicinal or herbal abortions as well as support um, folks alongside a medical abortion um, or a surgical abortion um, as well as like training each other. Like there, there's a longstanding history within the midwife and doula community of teaching outside of institutions because you need to learn the things that will actually serve your population, not just the stuff that like some white lab coat thinks that you should know. Um, And the, and this is part of why I get so frustrated when I hear shit like, oh, we are now going to have to have the abortion underground railroad. It's like, bitch, that's been happening. It already exists because it's not black and brown people have not had (laughs) access to abortions ever even with roe v wade abortion has never been equitable and like that is a piece that people really forget and reproductive justice and reproductive autonomy has never been equitable so people have always had to find a way there was always the lady in the neighborhood that could help take care of you when you got into some trouble like there has always been a community-oriented solution that unfortunately often operates in secrecy and, you know, under the night, (laughs) under the cloak of the night, Mm -hmm. but, and also it exists because community folks organized, they saw a problem and they said, well, the people who are supposed to give us a solution won't. So we'll come up with our own. Right. And we, we have to care for ourselves once again, like that is what I think all this really goes back to. And the example that I think about a lot is um, ACT UP activists. Um, ACT UP was an organization, an AIDS advocacy organization, um, still exists, still does a lot of great work, not in the past tense, in the present tense. But it was founded um, in the, you know, the first wave of AIDS activism um, in really the peak of the AIDS crisis. And, um, you know, ACT UP advocates literally made sure that a treatment was found for HIV. 
Like, yes. literally the United States government under Ronald Reagan and, and his, his dumb fucking wife. I'm so glad you said it because that was <laughs> literally about to be my next fucking words. Um, <laughs> like, literally turned a blind eye to the death of thousands of people at the hands of AIDS. They said this disease is killing gay people and Black people and trans people. So let it run rampant. Yeah, like pop off girls um and <laughs> like these motherfuckers were not looking to save our lives they didn't give a shit but active advocates and activists made sure that they never forgot that we existed and eventually took us seriously um so active activists have talked a lot about their inside outside strategy which essentially just meant that there were kind of like two prongs to their approach on one, like one prong was um, a very like antagonistic, like action-based approach in which, you know, they did legendary shit, like literally chain themselves to politicians' desks in the U.S. Congress. Um, they famously um, staged a die-in outside of the mm. FDA um, headquarters in Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C., um, and so they would do these things to, like, get media attention and remind Ronald Reagan and all these other fucks that, like, we're not going away and we're still fucking dying. But at the same time, they were organizing within their own community and within their own networks, and they found individual people who were either AIDS patients or were gay or were trans or were just known within these communities who they like had the expertise to do research on AIDS to actually make recommendations to FDA scientists that they were able to build relationships with because of the external pressure that they were putting on those institutions in order to say to them, like, this is the actual research that we have done as members of this community. And that led to several scientific breakthroughs, which eventually led to a treatment for HIV, right? Like, that would not have happened or at least wouldn't have happened that quickly without action and organizing within this community, right? To bring these people of expertise together, to put pressure on institutions and to also like bring this knowledge to the forefront as a solution, right? And so I say all of that to make the point that like, we only have to look to the very recent past and like what's already happening right now as to like cues of what we need to be doing right now in order to organize our communities and like keep ourselves safe. Yes. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad that you brought up the fact that like so much of this lives in present history and like there are folks. And when we talk about community, right, there are folks in our community who were there who can tell stories, who can share expertise, share knowledge, share understanding. And so that, like, I always think it's important that we're engaging every piece of the community, every part of the community. Our elders um, are there to help be guides, to help give information, to help give guidance, and to pass the torch, right? And so right. in all of this, we're kind of touching on it already, but I want us to think about, like, what does organizing for our community look like in the future? I mean, it is, so much of it is like we already have the blueprint, right? Like teach-ins, like mutual aid as a form of like direct service, like directly providing assistance to individuals in need through cash or through other, you know, basic needs that need, they need to have met, like food, groceries, et cetera. Like these kinds of direct actions that do provide like that kind of external pressure is really important. Like we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like our, not only our ancestors, but our current day, like, elders have shown us, like, what to do. And, like, to your point, Serena, like, people forget that there are people who are living right now who live through the AIDS crisis, whose family, whose best friends died. There are people who went to schools who were segregated or remember when schools were integrated. My grandma integrated her school. Right. <laughs> And she's just now about to retire as a teacher herself. Right. Like, I don't have to go far back. <laughs> no, no. Like, this shit is fucking fresh. And we don't need to, like, you don't need to read a bunch of books to, like, 
know how to do this, right? Yeah, there's this misconception that in order to be a leader or to be an authority, you have to have all of this like education and training and whatever. And like, there's absolutely place and space for that (laughs) as someone who tricked herself into getting a master's. Um, But, and also it's important to acknowledge that like our leaders and our definition of leadership has to be flexible and have to have the ability to adapt and change over time, right? Like Corey Bush says, those who are closest to the pain need to be closest to the power. And those people don't necessarily have the like, quote, traditional like teachings because they've been up against pain all the fucking time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's so important though that they be included in the organizing, in the decision-making, in in the determining like, what do we do? How do we do? How do we go about it? Because they're going to understand what's going to be meaningful and important and necessary to those impacted in the community. It's not even including, it is like letting people lead. Like electing people like Cori Bush, who's a congresswoman from Missouri, who is a nurse, who like has been unhoused, who led the Black Black Lives Matter movement in St. Louis. Like I- Is a bad bitch. She's just an overall bad (laughs) bitch and like one of the few good ones. Um, She, I'm just, I, I love that line from her and I'm so glad that you mentioned it because I really do think it gets to like the heart of what we're trying to say here of, of our communities need to be given an opportunity to lead queer and trans people, black people, um, brown people, indigenous folks, people of color, like otherwise, like we need to be given an opportunity to lead and to tell y'all what we need. Right. Um, and so much of that has to happen by organizing our own communities and leveraging our own collective power. Um, yes. So uh, I think that about wraps up our conversation. Yes. Yes. Um, so we're going to take a quick break and then we'll have a call to action for y'all. to action this month um um, like we really want to be focused on um abortion access and reproductive justice in this really really critical moment um for people across the country but especially in states where abortion might disappear overnight um depending on how the supreme court rules so even even if roe is upheld as serena mentioned and activists have been saying forever um Row is the floor. Like we still have so much to do, no matter the outcome of this ruling. Um, so we really want to spotlight all kinds of activities to support access um, this month. Um, and so for this week, we really want to sponsor, not sponsor, Jesus Christ. We want to spotlight the AFIA Center, um, which is a really interesting organization located in DFW, right? Yeah, they're located um, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for the non-initiated um, in North Texas. <laughs> if you Texas. don't know, now you know. <laughs> if you don't know, now you know. Uh, in North Texas, and they are one of the only organizations, um, they are the only organization in Texas and one of the only organizations in the country that specifically provide um, reprodu- reproductive services for Black people with uteruses. Um and uh, we'll have their link on our website, but it's the afiacenter.org. Um, that's A-F-I-Y-A. Um, and as we were saying, those closest to the pain need to be close, closest to the power. Um, and they are specifically working with people who are disproportionately impacted and affected by um, abortion access. Um, Black folks make up one of the um, larger chunks of the population getting abortions, despite um, not making up that large of a chunk in the general population. And we could we don't have time to get into why other than racism. Um, <laughs> it all boils <laughs> down to racism. It's wild how it's always the same original <laughs> devils. It's always capitalism, racism, the patriarchy. Like those are really the hand three schools hand, of American baby. society, I think. Like that's just it. The trifecta of evil. 
Um, but the Athea Center is working very hard. They have a very um, community-based um, approach, and they really work to make sure that the folks coming through their doors pay nothing or very little to receive their services. Um, so uh, check them out, support them. If you can throw them some coins, throw them some coins, sign up for their list and learn more ways that you can volunteer, both if you are local or if are from far away. Um, there are all kinds of ways that you can support. Um, and with that, that's it. That's, that's it. That's Make sure you head end. to the afiacenter.org backslash actions. That's spelled T-H-E-A-F-I-Y-A-C-E-N-T-E-R dot O-R-G slash actions. Um, and with that, we will see you friends next week. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this episode. To learn more about what we talked about in this episode, you can visit our website at inthechaospod.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at thechaospod. And you can find me, Sarita, on the internet at Sarita Fonta. That's S-E-R-I-T-A-F-O-N-T-A. And you can find me, Caljack Cade, on the internet at Caljack Cade, C-A-L-J-A-C-K-C-A-D-E. Special thanks to our audio editor, John Dron, who you can find at John Dron, J-A-W-N-D-R-A-W-N. And thanks to digital designer Shannon Elder, who you can find at Shannon.Renee, that's S-H-A-N-N-O-N dot R-A-Y-N-A-E. See you hoes next time. Bye. Bye.